Part One of Journal of a Voyage to Lisbon by Henry Fielding. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Dedication to the Public. Your candor is desired on the perusal of the following sheets, as they are the product of a genius that has long been your delight and entertainment. It must be acknowledged that a lamp almost burnt out does not give so steady and uniform a light as when it blazes in its full vigor. But yet it is well known that by its wavering, as if struggling against its own dissolution, it sometimes darts a ray as bright as ever. In like manner, a strong and lively genius will, in its last struggles, sometimes mount aloft, and throw forth the most striking marks of its original luster. Wherever these are to be found, do you, the genuine patrons of extraordinary capacities, be as liberal in your applauses of him who is now no more, as you were of him whilst he was yet amongst you? And, on the other hand, if in this little work there should appear any traces of a weakened and decayed life, let your own imaginations place before your eyes a true picture in that of a hand trembling in almost its latest hour, of a body emaciated with pains, yet struggling for your entertainment. And let this affecting picture open each tender heart, and call forth a melting tear, to blot out whatever failings may be found in a work begun in pain, and finished almost at the same period with life. It was thought proper by the friends of the deceased that this little piece should come into your hands as it came from the hands of the author, it being judged that you would be better pleased to have an opportunity of observing the faintest traces of a genius you have long admired, than have it patched by a different hand, by which means the marks of its true author might have been effaced. That the success of the last written, though first published, volume of the author's posthumous pieces may be attended with some convenience to those innocents he hath left behind, will no doubt be a motive to encourage its circulation through the kingdom, which will engage every future genius to exert itself for your pleasure. The principles and spirit which breathe in every line of the small fragment, begun in answer to Lord Bolingbroke, will unquestionably be a sufficient apology for its publication, although vital strength was wanting to finish a work so happily begun and so well designed. Preface there would not, perhaps, be a more pleasant or profitable study among those which have their principal end in amusement than that of travels or voyages, if they were wrote as they might be and ought to be, with a joint view to the entertainment and information of mankind. If the conversation of travellers be so eagerly sought after as it is, we may believe their books will be still more agreeable company, as they will in general be more instructive and more entertaining. But when I say the conversation of travellers is usually so welcome, I must be understood to mean that only of such as have had good sense enough to apply their peregrinations to a proper use, so as to acquire from them a real and valuable knowledge of men and things, both which are best known by comparison. 
if the customs and manners of men were everywhere the same there would be no office so dull as that of a traveller for the difference of hills valleys rivers in short the various views of which we may see the face of the earth would scarce afford him a pleasure worthy of his labour and surely it would give him very little opportunity of communicating any kind of entertainment or improvement to others to make a traveller an agreeable companion to a man of sense it is necessary not only that he should have seen much but that he should have overlooked much of what he hath seen nature is not any more than a great genius always admirable in her productions and therefore the traveller who may be called her commentator should not expect to find everywhere subjects worthy of his notice it is certain indeed that one may be guilty of omission as well as of the opposite extreme but a fault on that side will be more easily pardoned as it is better to be hungry than surfeited and to miss your dessert at the table of a man whose gardens abound with the choicest fruits than to have your taste affronted with every sort of trash that can be picked up at the green stall or the wheelbarrow if we should carry on the analogy between the traveller and the commentator it is impossible to keep one's eye a moment off from the laborious much-read dr zachary gray of whose redundant notes on hudibras i shall only say that it is i am confident the single book extent in which above five hundred authors are quoted not one of which could be found in the collection of the late dr mead as there are few things which a traveller is to record there are fewer on which he is to offer his observations this is the office of the reader and it is so pleasant a one that he seldom chooses to have it taken from him under the pretence of lending him assistance some occasions indeed there are when proper observations are pertinent and others when they are necessary but good sense alone must point them out i shall lay down only one general rule which i believe to be of universal truth between relator and hearer as it is between author and reader this is that the latter never forgive any observation of the former which doth not convey some knowledge that they are sensible they could not possibly have attained of themselves but all his pains in collecting knowledge all his judgment in selecting and all his art in communicating it will not suffice unless he can make himself in some degree an agreeable as well as instructive companion the highest instruction we can derive from the tedious tale of a dull fellow scarce ever pays us for our attention there is nothing i think half so valuable as knowledge and yet there is nothing which men will give themselves so little trouble to attain unless it be perhaps that lowest degree of it which is the object of curiosity and which hath therefore that active passion constantly employed in its service this indeed it is in the power of every traveller to gratify but it is the leading principle in weak minds only to render his relation agreeable to the man of sense it is therefore necessary that the voyager should possess several eminent and rare talents 
so air indeed that it is almost wonderful to see them ever united in the same person and if all these talents must concur in the relater they are certainly in a more eminent degree necessary to the writer for here the narration admits of higher ornaments of style and every fact and sentiment offers itself to the fullest and most deliberate examination it would appear therefore i think somewhat strange if such writers as these should be found extremely common since nature hath been a most parsimonious distributor of her richest talents and have seldom bestowed many on the same person but on the other hand why there should scarce exist a single writer of this kind worthy our regard and whilst there is no other branch of history for this is history which hath not exercised the greatest pens why this alone should be overlooked by all men of great genius and erudition and delivered up to the goths and vandals as their lawful property is altogether as difficult to determine and yet that this is the case with some very few exceptions is most manifest of these i shall willingly admit burnet and addison if the former was not perhaps to be considered as a political essayist and the latter as a commentator on the classics rather than as a writer of travels which last title perhaps they would both of them have been least ambitious to affect indeed if these two and two or three more should be removed from the mass there would remain such a heap of dullness behind that the appellation of voyage writer would not appear very desirable i am not here unapprised that old homer himself is by some considered as a voyage writer and indeed the beginning of his odyssey may be urged to countenance that opinion which i shall not controvert but whatever a species of writing the odyssey is of it is surely at the head of that species as much as the iliad is of another and so far the excellent longinus would allow i believe at this day but in reality the odyssey the telemachus and all of that kind are to be voyage writing i here intend what romance is to true history the former being the confounder and corrupter of the latter i am far from supposing that homer hesiod and the other ancient poets and mythologists had any settled design to pervert and confuse the records of antiquity but it is certain they have effected it and for my part i must confess i should have honoured and loved homer more than had he written a true history of his own times in humble prose than those noble poems that have so justly collected the praise of all ages for though i read these with more admiration and astonishment i still read herodotus thucydides and xenophon with more amusement and more satisfaction the original poets were not however without excuse they found the limits of nature too straight for the immensity of their genius which they had not room to exert without extending fact by fiction and that especially at a time when the manners of men were too simple to afford that variety which they have since offered in vain to the choice of the meanest writers 
in doing this they are again excusable for the manner in which they have done it ut speciosia dehine miracula promant they are not indeed so properly said to turn reality into fiction as fiction into reality their paintings are so bold their colours so strong that everything they touch seems to exist in the very manner they represent it their portraits are so just and their landscapes so beautiful that we acknowledge the strokes of nature in both without inquiring whether nature herself or her journeyman the poet formed the first pattern of the piece but other writers i will put pliny at their head have no such pretensions to indulgence they lie for lying sake or in order insolently to impose the most monstrous improbabilities and absurdities upon their readers on their own authority treating them as some fathers treat children and as other fathers do laymen exacting their belief of whatever they relate on no other foundation than their own authority without ever taking the pains or adapting their lies to human credulity and of calculating them for the meridian of a common understanding but with as much weakness as wickedness and with more impudence often than either they assert facts contrary to the honour of god to the visible order of the creation to the known laws of nature to the histories of former ages and to the experience of our own and which no man can at once understand and believe if it should be objected and it can nowhere be objected better than where i write in a footnote the author states that he is in lisbon as there is nowhere more pomp of bigotry that whole nations have been firm believers in such most absurd suppositions i reply the fact is not true they have known nothing of the matter and have believed that they knew not what it is indeed with me no matter of doubt but that the pope and his clergy might teach any of those christian heterodoxies the tenets of which are the most diametrically opposite to their own nay all the doctrines of zoroaster confucius and mohammed not only with certain and immediate success but without one catholic in a thousand knowing he had changed his religion what motive a man can have to sit down and to draw forth a list of stupid senseless incredible lies upon paper would be difficult to determine did not vanity present herself so immediately as the adequate cause the vanity of knowing more than other men is perhaps besides hunger the only inducement to writing at least to publishing at all why then should not the voyage writer be inflamed with the glory of having seen what no man ever did or will see but himself this is the true source of the wonderful in the discourse and the writing and sometimes i believe in the actions of men there is another fault of a kind directly opposite to this to which these writers are sometimes liable when instead of filling their pages with monsters which nobody hath ever seen and with adventures which never have nor could possibly have happened to them 
waste their time in paper with recording things and facts of so common a kind that they challenge no other right of being remembered than as they had the honour of having happened to the author to whom nothing seems trivial that in any manner happens to himself of such consequence do his own actions appear to one of this kind that he would probably think himself guilty of infidelity should he omit the minutest thing in the detail of his journal that the fact is true is sufficient to give it a place there without any consideration whether it is capable of pleasing or surprising of diverting or informing the reader i have seen a play if i mistake not it is one of mrs ben's or of mrs st livre where this vice in a voyage writer is finely ridiculed an ignorant pedant to whose government for i know not what reason the conduct of a young nobleman in his travels is committed and who is sent abroad to show my lord the world of which he knows nothing himself before his departure from a town calls for his journal to record the goodness of the wine and tobacco with other articles of the same importance which are to furnish the materials of a voyage at his return home the humour it is true is here carried very far and yet perhaps very little beyond what is to be found in writers who profess no intention of dealing in humour at all of one or other or both of these kinds are i conceive all that vast pile of books which pass under the names of voyages travels adventures lives memoirs histories etc some of which a single traveller sends into the world in many volumes and others are by judicious booksellers collected into vast bodies in folio and inscribed with their own names as if they were indeed their own travels thus unjustly attributing to themselves the merit of others now from both these faults we have endeavoured to steer clear in the following narrative which however the contrary may be insinuated by ignorant unlearned and fresh-water critics who have never travelled either in books or ships i do solemnly declare doth in my own impartial opinion deviate less from truth than any other voyage extent my lord anson's alone being perhaps excepted some few embellishments must be allowed to every historian for we are not to conceive that the speeches in livy sallust or thucydides were literally spoken in the very words in which we now read them it is sufficient that every fact hath its foundation in truth as i do seriously aver is the ease in the ensuing pages and when it is so a good critic will be so far from denying all kind of ornament of style or diction or even of circumstance to his author that he would be rather sorry if he omitted it for he could hence derive no other advantage than the loss of an additional pleasure in the perusal again if any merely common incident should appear in this journal which will seldom i apprehend be the case the candid reader will easily perceive it is not introduced for its own sake 
but for some observations and reflections naturally resulting from it and which if but little to his amusement tend directly to the instruction of the reader or to the information of the public to whom if i choose to convey such instruction or information with an air of joke and laughter none but the dullest of fellows will i believe censure it but if they should i have the authority of more than one passage in horace to allege in my defence having thus endeavoured to obviate some censures to which a man without the gift of foresight or any fear of the imputation of being a conjurer might conceive this work would be liable i might now undertake a more pleasing task and fall at once to the direct and positive praises of the work itself of which indeed i could say a thousand good things but the task is so very pleasant that i shall leave it wholly to the reader and it is all the task that i impose on him a moderation for which he may think himself obliged to me when he compares it with the conduct of authors who often fill a whole sheet with their own praises to which they sometimes set their own real names and sometimes a fictitious one one hint however i must give the kind reader which is that if he should be able to find no sort of amusement in the book he will be pleased to remember the public utility which will arise from it if entertainment as mr richardson observes be but a secondary consideration in a romance with which mr addison i think agrees affirming the use of the pastry cook to be the first if this i say to be true of a mere work of invention sure it may well be so considered in a work founded like this on truth and where the political reflections form so distinguishing a part but perhaps i may hear from some critic of the most saturnine complexion that my vanity must have made a horrid dupe of my judgment if it hath flattered me with an expectation of having anything here seen in a grave light or of conveying any useful instruction to the public or to their guardians i answer with the great man whom i just now quoted that my purpose is to convey instruction in the vehicle of entertainment and so to bring about at once like the revolution in the rehearsal a perfect reformation of the laws relating to our maritime affairs an undertaking i will not say more modest but surely more feasible than that of reforming a whole people by making use of a vehicular story to wheel in among them worse manners than their own introduction in the beginning of august seventeen fifty three when i had taken the duke of portland's medicine as it is called near a year the effects of which had been the carrying off the symptoms of a lingering imperfect gout i was persuaded by mr ranby the king's premier sergeant surgeon and the ablest advice i believe in all branches of the physical profession to go immediately to bath i accordingly wrote that very night to mrs bowden who by the next post informed me she had taken me a lodging for a month certain within a few days after this whilst i was preparing for my journey and when i was almost fatigued to death with several long examinations 
relating to the five different murders all committed within the space of a week by different gangs of street robbers i received a message from his grace the duke of newcastle by mr carrington the king's messenger to attend his grace the next morning in lincoln's inn fields upon some business of importance but i excused myself from complying with the message as besides being lame i was very ill with the great fatigues i had lately undergone added to my distemper his grace however sent mr carrington the very next morning with another summons with which though in the utmost distress i immediately complied but the duke happening unfortunately for me to be then particularly engaged after i had waited some time sent a gentleman to discourse with me on the best plan which could be invented for putting an immediate end to those murders and robberies which were every day committed in the streets upon which i promised to transmit my opinion in writing to his grace who as the gentleman informed me intended to lay it before the privy council though this visit cost me a severe cold i notwithstanding set myself down to work and in about four days sent the duke as regular a plan as i could form with all the reasons and arguments i could bring to support it drawn out in several sheets of paper and soon received a message from the duke by mr carrington acquainting me that my plan was highly approved of and that all the terms of it would be complied with the principal and most material of those terms was the immediately depositing six hundred pounds in my hands at which small charge i undertook to demolish the then reigning gangs and to put the civil policy into such order that no such gangs should ever be able for the future to form themselves into bodies or at least to remain any time formidable to the public i had delayed my bath journey for some time contrary to the repeated advice of my physical acquaintance and to the ardent desire of my warmest friends though my distemper was now turned to a deep jaundice in which case the bath waters were generally reputed to be almost infallible but i had the most eager desire of demolishing this gang of villains and cutthroats which i was sure of accomplishing the moment i was enabled to pay a fellow who had undertaken for a small sum to betray them into the hands of a set of thief-takers whom i had enlisted into the service all men of known and approved fidelity and intrepidity after some weeks the money was paid at the treasury and within a few days after two hundred pounds of it had come to my hands the whole gang of cutthroats was entirely dispersed seven of them were in actual custody and the rest driven some out of the town and others out of the kingdom though my health was now reduced to the last extremity i continued to act with the utmost vigour against these villains in examining whom and in taking the depositions against them i have often spent whole days nay sometimes whole nights especially when there was any difficulty in procuring sufficient evidence to convict them which is a very common case in street robberies even when the guilt of the party is sufficiently apparent to satisfy the most tender conscience 
but courts of justice know nothing of a cause more than what is told them on oath by a witness and the most flagitious villain upon earth is tried in the same manner as a man of the best character who is accused of the same crime meanwhile amidst all my fatigues and distresses i had the satisfaction to find my endeavours had been attended with such success that this hellish society were almost utterly extirpated and that instead of reading of murders and street robberies in the news almost every morning there was in the remaining part of the month of november and in all december not only no such thing as a murder but not even a street robbery committed some such indeed were mentioned in the public papers but they were all found on the strictest inquiry to be false in this entire freedom from street robberies during the dark months no man will i believe scruple to acknowledge that the winter of seventeen fifty three stands unrivalled during a course of many years and this may possibly appear the more extraordinary to those who recollect the outrages with which it began having thus fully accomplished my undertaking i went into the country in a very weak and deplorable condition with no fewer or less diseases than a jaundice a dropsy and an asthma altogether uniting their forces in the destruction of a body so entirely emaciated that it had lost all its muscular flesh mine was now no longer what was called a bath case nor if it had been so had i strength remaining sufficient to go thither a ride of six miles only being attended with an intolerable fatigue i now discharged my lodgings at bath which i had hitherto kept i began in earnest to look on my case as desperate and i had vanity enough to rank myself with those heroes who of old times became voluntary sacrifices to the good of the public but lest the reader should be too eager to catch at the word vanity and should be unwilling to indulge me with so sublime a gratification for i think he is not too apt to gratify me i will take my key a pitch lower and will frankly own that i had a stronger motive than the love of the public to push me on i will therefore confess to him that my private affairs at the beginning of the winter had but a gloomy aspect for i had not plundered the public or the poor of those sums which men who are always ready to plunder both as much as they can have been pleased to suspect me of taking on the contrary by composing instead of inflaming the quarrels of porters and beggars which i blush when i say hath not been universally practised and by refusing to take a shilling from a man who most undoubtedly would not have had another left i had reduced an income of about five hundred pounds in a footnote the author adds here a predecessor of mine used to boast that he made one thousand pounds a year in his office but how he did this if indeed he did it is to me a secret his clerk now mine told me i had more business than he had ever known there i am sure i had as much as any man could do the truth is the fees are so very low when any are due and so much is done for nothing that if a single justice of peace had business enough to employ twenty clerks neither he nor they would get much for their labour 
and that's the end of the footnote of the dirtiest money upon earth to little more than three hundred pounds a considerable proportion of which remained with my clerk and indeed if the whole had done so as it ought he would be but ill paid for sitting almost sixteen hours in the twenty-four in the most unwholesome as well as nauseous air in the universe and which hath in his case corrupted a good constitution without contaminating his morals the public will not therefore i hope think i betray a secret when i inform them that i received from the government a yearly pension out of the public service money which i believe indeed would have been larger had my great patron been convinced of an error which i have heard him utter more than once that he could not indeed say that the acting as a principal justice of peace in westminster was on all accounts very desirable but that all the world knew it a very lucrative office now to have shown him plainly that a man must be a rogue to make a very little this way and that he could not make much by being as great a rogue as he could be would have required more confidence than i believe he had in me and more of his conversation than he chose to allow me i therefore resigned the office and the farther execution of my plan to my brother who had long been my assistant and now lest the case between me and the reader should be the same in both instances as it was between me and the great man i will not add another word on the subject but not to trouble the reader with anecdotes contrary to my own rule laid down in my preface i assure him i thought my family was very slenderly provided for and that my health began to decline so fast that i had very little more of life left to accomplish what i had thought of too late i rejoiced therefore greatly in seeing an opportunity as i apprehended of gaining such merit in the eye of the public that if my life were the sacrifice to it my friends might think they did a popular thing in putting my family at least beyond the reach of necessity which i myself began to despair of doing and though i disclaim all pretence to that spartan or roman patriotism which loved the public so well that it was always ready to become a voluntary sacrifice to the public good i do solemnly declare i have that love for my family after this confession therefore that the public was not the principal deity to which my life was offered a sacrifice and when it is farther considered what a poor sacrifice this was being indeed no other than the giving up what i saw little likelihood of being able to hold much longer and which upon the terms i held it nothing but the weakness of human nature could represent to me as worth holding at all the world may i believe without envy allow me all the praise to which i have any title my aim in fact was not praise which is the last gift they care to bestow at least this was not my aim as an end but rather as a means of purchasing some moderate provision for my family which though it should exceed my merit must fall infinitely short of my service if i succeeded in my attempt to say the truth 
the public never act more wisely than when they act most liberally in the distribution of their rewards and here the good they receive is often more to be considered than the motive from which they receive it example alone is the end of all public punishments and rewards laws never inflict disgrace in resentment nor confer honour from gratitude for it is very hard my lord said a convicted felon at the bar to the late excellent judge burnett to hang a poor man for stealing a horse you are not to be hanged sir answered my ever-honoured and beloved friend for stealing a horse but you are to be hanged that horses may not be stolen in like manner it might have been said to the late duke of marlborough when the parliament was so deservedly liberal to him after the battle of blenheim you receive not these honours and bounties on account of a victory past but that other victories may be obtained i was now in the opinion of all men dying of a complication of disorders and were i desirous of playing the advocate i have an occasion fair enough but i disdain such an attempt i relate facts plainly and simply as they are and let the world draw from them what conclusions they please taking with them the following facts for their instruction the one is that the proclamation offering one hundred pounds for the apprehending felons for certain felonies committed in certain places which i prevented from being revived had formerly cost the government several thousand pounds within a single year secondly that all such proclamations instead of curing the evil had actually increased it had multiplied the number of robberies had propagated the worst and wickedness of perjuries had laid snares for youth and ignorance which by the temptation of these rewards had been sometimes drawn into guilt and sometimes which cannot be thought on without the highest horror had destroyed them without it thirdly that my plan had not put the government to more than three hundred pound expense and had produced none of the ill consequences above mentioned but lastly had actually suppressed the evil for a time and had plainly pointed out the means of suppressing it for ever this i would myself have undertaken had my health permitted at the annual expense of the above-mentioned sum after having stood the terrible six weeks which succeeded last christmas and put a lucky end if they had known their own interests to such numbers of aged and infirm valedictorians who might have gasped through two or three mild winters more i returned to town in february in a condition less despaired of by myself than by any of my friends i now became the patient of dr ward who wished i had taken his advice earlier by his advice i was tapped and fourteen quarts of water drawn from my belly the sudden relaxation which this caused added to my enervate emaciated habit of body so weakened me that within two days i was thought to be falling into the agonies of death i was at the worst on that memorable day when the public lost mr pelham 
from that day i began slowly as it were to draw my feet out of the grave till in two months time i had again acquired some little degree of strength but was again full of water during this whole time i took mr ward's medicines which had seldom any perceptible operation those in particular of the diaphoretic kind the working of which is thought to require a great strength of constitution to support had so little effect on me that mr ward declared it was as vain to attempt sweating me as a deal board in this situation i was tapped a second time i had one quarter of water less taken for me now than before but i bore all the consequences of the operation much better this i attributed greatly to a dose of laudanum prescribed by my surgeon it first gave me the most delicious flow of spirits and afterwards as comfortable a nap the month of may which was now begun it seemed reasonable to expect would introduce the spring and drive of that winter which yet maintained its footing on the stage i resolved therefore to visit a little house of mine in the country which stands at ealing in the county of middlesex in the best air i believe in the whole kingdom and far superior to that of kensington gravel pits for the gravel is here much wider and deeper the place higher and more open towards the south whilst it is guarded from the north wind by a ridge of hills and from the smells and smoke of london by its distance which last is not the fate of kensington when the wind blows from any corner of the east obligations to mr ward i shall always confess for i am convinced that he omitted no care in endeavouring to serve me without any expectation or desire of fee or reward the powers of mr ward's remedies want indeed no unfair puffs of mine to give them credit and though this distemper of the dropsy stands i believe first in the list of those over which he is always certain of triumphing yet possibly there might be something particular in my case capable of eluding that radical force which had healed so many thousands the same distemper in different constitutions may possibly be attended with such different symptoms that to find an infallible nostrum for the curing of any one distemper in every patient may be almost as difficult as to find a panacea for the cure of all but even such a panacea one of the greatest scholars and best of men did lately apprehend he had discovered it is true indeed he was no physician that is he had not by the forms of his education acquired a right of applying his skill in the art of physic to his own private advantage and yet perhaps it may be truly asserted that no other modern hath contributed so much to make his physical skill useful to the public at least that none hath undergone the pains of communicating this discovery in writing to the world the reader i think will scarce need to be informed that the writer i mean is the late bishop of cloyne in ireland and the discovery that of the virtues of tar-water 
i then happened to recollect upon a hint given me by the inimitable and shamefully distressed author of the female quixote that i had many years before from curiosity only taken a cursory view of bishop berkeley's treatises on the virtues of tar-water which i had formerly observed he strongly contends to be that real panacea which sydenham supposes to have an existence in nature though it yet remains undiscovered and perhaps will always remain so upon the reperusal of this book i found the bishop only asserting his opinion that tar water might be useful in the dropsy since he had known it to have a surprising success in the cure of a most stubborn anasarca which is indeed no other than as the word implies the dropsy of the flesh and this was at that time a large part of my complaint after a short trial therefore of a milk diet which i presently found did not suit with my case i betook myself to the bishop's prescription and dosed myself every morning and evening with half a pint of tar-water it was no more than three weeks since my last tapping and my belly and limbs were distended with water this did not give me the worse opinion of tar-water for i never supposed there could be any such virtue in tar-water as immediately to carry off a quantity of water already collected for my delivery from this i knew well i must be again obliged to the trocar and that if tar-water did me any good at all it must be only by the slowest degrees and that if it should ever get the better of my distemper it must be by the tedious operation of undermining and not by a sudden attack and storm some visible effects however and far beyond what my most sanguine hopes could with any modesty expect i very soon experienced the tar water having from the very first lessened my illness increased my appetite and added though in a very slow proportion to my bodily strength but if my strength had increased a little my water daily increased much more so that by the end of may my belly became again ripe for the trocar and i was a third time tapped upon which two very favourable symptoms appeared i had three quarts of water taken from me less than had been taken the last time and i bore the relaxation with much less indeed with scarce any faintness those of my physical friends on whose judgment i chiefly depended seemed to think my only chance of life consisted in having the whole summer before me in which i might hope to gather sufficient strength to encounter the inclemencies of the ensuing winter but this chance began daily to lessen i saw the summer mouldering away or rather indeed the year passing away without intending to bring on any summer at all in the whole month of may the sun scarce appeared three times so that the early fruits came to the fullness of their growth and to some appearance of ripeness without acquiring any real maturity having wanted the heat of the sun to soften and meliorate their juices 
i saw the dropsy gaining rather than losing ground the distance growing still shorter between the tappings i saw the asthma likewise beginning again to become more troublesome i saw the midsummer quarter drawing towards a close so that i conceived if the michaelmas quarter should steal off into the same manner as it was in my opinion very much to be apprehended it would i should be delivered up to the attacks of winter before i recruited my forces so as to be anywise able to withstand them i now began to recall an intention which from the first dawnings of my recovery i had conceived of removing to a warmer climate and finding this to be approved of by my very eminent physician i resolved to put it into immediate execution aix-en-provence was the place first thought on but the difficulties of getting thither were insuperable the journey by land beside the expense of it was infinitely too long and fatiguing and i could hear of no ship that was likely to sail out from london within any reasonable time for marseilles or any other port in that part of the mediterranean lisbon was presently fixed on in its room the air here as it was near four degrees to the south of aix must be more mild and warm and the winter shorter and less piercing it was not difficult to find a ship bound to a place with which we carry on so immense a trade accordingly my brother soon informed me of the excellent accommodations for passengers which were to be found on board a ship that was obliged to sail for lisbon in three days i eagerly embraced the offer notwithstanding the shortness of the time and having given my brother full power to contract for our passage i began to prepare my family for the voyage with the utmost expedition but our great haste was needless for the captain having twice put off his sailing i at length invited him to dinner with me at fordhook a full week after the time on which he had declared and that with many asseverations he must and would weigh anchor he dined with me according to his appointment and when all matters were settled between us left me with positive orders to be on board the wednesday following when he declared he would fall down the river to gravesend and would not stay a moment for the greatest man in the world he advised me to go to gravesend by land and there wait the arrival of his ship assigning many reasons for this every one of which was as i well remember among those that had before determined me to go on board near the tower end of part one